So here we are, part one of the big finale to this series. We've, however, briefly covered some of the most monumental events in recent history, examining them through the lens of violence. And on the last episode, we talked about why all those big events took place for power. When we left off, I was getting ready to unveil the power that we have that could change everything. So what is it? Voting. <laughs> Surprised that's the answer? Give me a chance to explain. This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. Voting is the right to choose. And with that choice comes a tremendous amount of power. I often think we underestimate how much of it we have. So here's a way to think about it. Voters today have more power than almost any group of people in history. Unless your family legacy is nothing but kings and queens, then at some point, your ancestors were subjects. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. For most of human history, democracy was nothing more than an idea. It may have been practiced in some pockets here and there, but the belief that almost all citizens not only should have, but deserve the right to have a voice in the affairs of the government is an extremely modern one. And like the best of ideas, once it took hold, it was impossible to resist. It spread like wildfire, coming to life in the hearts and minds of people around the world. It blazed its way through nations, inspiring people and leading them to actions that were dangerous, the bold, insane, but necessary. Once a person believes in their heart that they are owed not just the right to choose, but the right to choose something better, you can never really convince them otherwise. This belief served as not just the foundation for those events, but as the North Star for all the systems that were built afterwards. And yes, those systems were flawed, imperfect, sometimes intentionally so. But the funny thing is that those very systems and the radical ideas underneath them became the justification for yet more change. When Susan B. Anthony defended herself against the charge of illegal voting, she ground her defense in the natural rights of the Declaration of Independence. And when Dr. King argued for extending the same right to Blacks, he said that the promissory notes owed to Blacks were first guaranteed in those same words. So why am I saying all of this? Because we have so much of what they fought for, and I think we're squandering it. Is the institution of voting perfect? No, far from it. But it has advanced. And while it may be under attack in various ways, there are no attacks that come remotely close to what was experienced previously. 
Think about what I covered in the earlier episodes of this series. Women who were force-fed and abused in prisons. Blacks who were murdered by elected officials. The obstacles today are real, but they aren't equal to the barriers faced before. And fortunately for us, the gains that were made have given us an advantage that they never had because we can, in a very short period of time, transform our democracy using nothing more than the tools already at our disposal. Here's a question. What elected office has the longest term? U.S. Senators who serve for a maximum of six years. But far from being an unremarkable bit of trivia, there's a bold idea that's embedded within that fact. We could, if we chose to, change every elected official in six years. Every single one. If you're unhappy with an official, you could throw them out. If you don't like them, you could just get rid of them. It really is that simple. In the last episode, I talked about the feeling of powerlessness that has come over many Americans. The feeling of being helpless as we face our problems. But that feeling isn't a totally accurate representation of the position that we find ourselves in because the power to change things really is ours. We could accomplish via peaceful means what so many who came before us had to kill for and die for, what they had to bleed for. Now I know, one of the objections to this idea are how much will it really change? We've tried changing people before and it hasn't made a difference. But is that actually true? At the federal level, the re-election rates for members of the House was almost 95% in 2020. For the Senate, it was almost 85%. And those aren't outlier numbers. Those numbers have been very consistent for almost 30 years. Over that same time frame, Americans have consistently reported being unhappy with their elected officials. And not just with members of the other party, with the people who they vote for. And yet, when given the opportunity to do something, they send the same people who they don't like right back to office. I know, the primary system is a mess. I know, the other side is crazy or socialist or full of racist. But I'm not asking why Democrats don't vote for Republicans or vice versa. I'm asking why we, as Americans, tolerate having a group of elected officials we claim to be so dissatisfied with. Remember, by the end of six years, every elected official will have come up for re-election. They have to come to us and ask for our permission to return. Maybe this idea is too insane. Maybe the kind of dysfunction we're experiencing is so great that we can never try something like this. Maybe we can't even attempt something close. But what I'm suggesting isn't really that bold. In fact, 
it's completely in line with how the system was supposed to function. You frequently hear complaints about the lack of real democracy. But have you ever looked at how many elected officials there actually are? This year, we obviously have the midterms where every member of the House and roughly a third of the Senate is on the ballot. So that's 470 positions. But there are also over 30 governors and attorney generals, an almost equal number of secretary of states and state treasurers, and a staggering number of state legislators on the ballot. We have a lot of democracy. And the reason we have so much of it is because we're meant to be changing the people who are doing those jobs fairly often. If what the founders wanted is a system where officials serve for life, then I imagine they would have built it that way. The right to vote is a powerful thing. If there's truly just one lesson to be taken away from this series, then just remember that almost every person hearing this is in possession of a power that far surpasses what most people in human history have ever had. But is it being used properly? If all we ever do with the vote is to send the exact same state of people back for another go around, then we aren't taking advantage of that power. We aren't fulfilling the promise of our founding and we aren't honoring the sacrifices that so many made to get us here. In the very first episode of this series, I read part of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I'm going to read those words again. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. The first part is easy. It gives without asking. But the second part, that's harder. Because saying that each of us have both reason and conscience comes with a burden. It comes with responsibility. Is it reasonable for voters to continue behaving this way? Are you, the voter, acting in a spirit of brotherhood when you elect someone who expresses zero interest in respecting others? It's easy enough to point out the ways in which the government has failed us. But are we willing to look at the ways in which we've failed ourselves? That's the question we have to answer. And then we have to act. The equation for a flourishing democracy is straightforward. First, government grants us the right to choose. Then we use that right to elect officials who will work on our behalf. That's it. If either side falters, then the whole thing collapses. And if history is a guide, then we should recognize that violence is typically what follows. So join me in the next episode when I sit down with the boss of Pointcast herself, 
as we attempt to make sense of what's been an incredibly wide-ranging series. I'm excited, and I hope you are too. As always, I want to encourage you all to continue the discussion on our social media pages, either on Facebook or Instagram. And like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcast. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time. Take care, everybody.